Okay, welcome to another episode in Colin Book Square. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're here at Phoenix Band Fusion uh, and so excited to, to be here at our first live show. Uh, today we're going to be talking to Shard de Mumberg and uh, we're going to be talking about his comics and how he set a world record in comics. Um, so today I'm Ben, I'm Paul, I'm Shane, and I'm Mike. Let's get the show started. And then I'll say, today I'm Ben. I'm not going to say it, I'm not going to And not in a second of today. Oh, man, that's good. And then I'm going to I mentioned in our intro that how we met set a world record in comics. Can you jump in and share a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Um, it was around, so in, it was like 2012, I think. Um, maybe 2011, Mark. Uh, Miller, Millar, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, different people do it differently. They had a convention in England where they set the record for the most contributors to a comic and the fastest time to produce a comic. And so he, he did it. He was the, the sole writer on that. And um, he had like 70 people in it. And that seemed kind of low. And, um, and not only that, but Comic books are an American institution, uh, much like jazz and, uh, well, much like jazz is solely American. It was brought up in America and that other countries have adopted it and, and transformed it. Um, so uh, myself and, and my buddy Jesse James from Jesse James Comics, yeah. um, we said that, that can't happen. They definitely can the Brits out. They already have half the actors that every film show. They, you know, the only thing they don't have is dentistry. But you know, everybody else, they they they're starting to take over. It's them and the Canadians, and so we can't let that happen. Uh, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna beat the record. Um, so we teamed up with uh, Jimmy J, um, who does the amazing series of uh, conventions, Amazing Arizona at the time. Um, we teamed up with him to have it hosted at his show. So we got we got in there. We Jesse was the promotion. I was the logistics. Um, and so he would he went out and, and got people signed up to do this. Um, and we decided that we were going to make this harder on ourselves uh, because we thought they would change the requirements for the record um, to include these these changes. So we decided that we would not have a, a story set ahead of time because Mark had done a screen comic. So he was very uh, familiar with the character and probably had some story ideas that he could just pull out of the, the hat. Uh, I think it was minimal dialogue involved, so there was a lot of action. Um, and we decided we were going to change that. We we're going to we we're going to have different writers for each one. Um, we had the first writer was uh, Kyle Piggins. He had the first three pages, and then it was two pages afterward, and um, for every writer. And so then, once you've written the script, then you we decided we were going to set up four panels. Four panels per page would give us, and a 25-page comic gave us like 100 um, 
a hundred different um, artists for it. And so we we set that up four panel pages that makes it simple because they just have to draw there within their square. And then we scan it in and then uh, scan in all the panels and lay it out and everything. And I did the lettering for it too. But uh, so Kyle does the first three pages. We get the first 12 artists up there. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. We got, we've got continuity issues. If the first person that draws a character doesn't, uh, then the next person doesn't know about them. So they, they draw it differently and then it creates issues. So very quickly we had it adjust and, um, they would have their page with their circle panel on it and reference, uh, for every character. And of course, every writer wants to put their name, their stamp on it. So there was a, a new character introduced almost every two pages. <laughs> so we had some really great people too. We had, uh, Brian Wuchaleta. We had, um, Brian Plito. Uh, we had Paul Jenkins was there. So Paul Jenkins did, uh, is it row two pages? Did Lykel, right? Wilson. So Lykel did the cover. Yeah, Lykel did the cover. He came in. We, we, for about 10 minutes, we thought we had Robert Kirkman. Uh, he was there too, and he was just too busy. Um, but yeah, so then what happens is not only do you have the continuity with the, the characters, but also you have the first person that writes it writes first three pages. Then the next guy has to read the first three pages plus write two. Then it's five and then two, seven and, and so on and so forth. So the, the person at the end has actually the most difficult job. Yeah. So we got the candles right, uh, drawn out. I'm trying to scan in as, as quickly as possible. The convention is ending. So I was there probably another hour, hour and a half after the convention closed, just finishing up. Um, cause what we did next, which, um, Mark and crew didn't accomplish is we actually had a printer that took the files, printed out, and we had the comic book available the next day. Wow. That laid out. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was an incredible team. It was, we, we tried to duplicate it and we actually beat the record by like, you know, a couple minutes or something like that, but we had fewer people. And I wanted to keep the, the record intact, even though Guinness decided not to. They, they allowed someone to come in um, and uh, have more characters and it separated the records. But, uh, but so we no longer hold the most characters in a comic, but we do still hold the fastest I've been produced. Um, and probably a little more legitimately than uh, our predecessor, because he, he, he actually... The requirement that we had was that we had to sell 300 copies of, oh, of it. Okay. And we had to, and yeah, there was, there was a whole thing about it. So, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, uh, we weren't the, the first ones, but, uh, we, we got the record and, um, we had everyone from like Mark Silvestri drew a, a panel, <laughs> you know, you mentioned Rob Liebelt, uh, but we had like, these superstars of comics next to people who were self-publishing. And uh, I still get Facebook messages from a guy that wants to take me out to dinner because he's, he's so proud of his family. is so proud of him being a uh, world record holder. And, and I, I think it's a little different now, but like 
when I was a kid, we'd get the world record and we'd look through them and everything. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. we a smarmel and all that stuff. The interesting thing is uh, the record book was originally created to um, settle warrants. So that's, that's how it first came up. So someone would say, oh, I think so-and-so is the tallest man in the world. And uh, no, he's not. You know, and oh, okay, you want to you bet? And it's like, oh, our tender pulls out the, one. no, he's right. You know, a couple beers or whatever. But yeah, so, but it is an enterprise. Um, you see these companies that have the world's biggest burrito or chimichanga, but the world's biggest chimichanga at Bacayos. They've got the Alcalova chain here in Mexican food chef. Um, if they, if you want to have a, something proctored where you do the record, you get the certificate on site, you know, printed and everything. It's like $20,000 at the minimums, at the minimum to do something like that. Uh, so, but you can pronto your own stuff as long as you have video footage and everything. So that's what we did. We had two cameras running um, the whole time. And then um, we sent put a job and sent all the proof. And it took some time for them to actually uh, validate the record. But uh, but we were able to do that without having to pay that $20,000. And then then if you want to like use it in press and say, we're the world record holder, you have to license the name. So it's another 10K. So it's a, it's a legitimate business. Um, but yeah, there is a, a, a point of entry that you have to meet either through documenting it thoroughly or through, um, um, through having the proctor. And with all the debate options and all the special effects options, I'm sure there's some records that they are going to, would require someone to actually be there. So, so oh, yeah. But, but yeah, so that's the uh, world records. So pretty And I said, that's such an accomplishment though, because of exactly what you just mentioned, where you get to work, right? Like butting shoulder to shoulder, but with just people that you have idolized for so long. And like you said, the, the indie guys that are so publishing and just trying to get their name out there, being a part of that and contributing to that. What an amazing story. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, we have one guy that was re recording, um, his, uh, his experience. He was recording, he was sitting there, he was drawn away and Mars Sylvester sits next to him. And I'm just like, but you could see he was like, he was like so excited. He was, it was, it was so amazing for him to be next to him and, um, to be participating in this thing and to have his name on the same book as, as Warden. I don't know that Mark goes around and says he's a world title holder or white builder or any of those. That would cost him 10,000 bucks. For the probably like 50 other independent creators that were part of it, um, it is a big deal and it is something that they they uh, carry around with them. So, so I, I, you know what, that's a great story. I guess the question I have is, did you guys have in mind a group of people that you wanted to get together on this or was it kind of as in for Crest, you kept throwing more people in the mass, or how did that, how did that play out? So, so, I mean, obviously, in things like this, you want to make sure you have more people than than needed because someone's going to flake out, or uh, if they have something come up, you know, whatever. Or for whatever reason, they they aren't able to just cave. Uh, so, so yeah, we had basically we went. Um, Jesse did all the promotion. Um, we had asked the Gwen Machine to kind of help us out and like maybe announce it. I think it's 
part of their programming. Uh, and, and that didn't really, there was still one people that were really in key. So Jesse went, they had like, uh, uh, like a PD night sort of, um, bar event and he went around and visited different creators and told them, but they were still, there was like Kyle Hiddens, like, I'm viewing the wide. <laughs> What's the character that you would know us, so whatever you want is to your right, you know? And, uh, luckily he had Ryan next to him. And they're good friends, and, and Kyle and, and Ryan were able to probably come up this time. It was um, something that was unfit enough that you could continue it on. But um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, there were still some people that were a little confused by that. Um, so we we had to do some like on the why sort of uh, explanation and promotion of it. And we went around to all the booths and asked people um, to participate. And then we had people that we have known from the new comic scene locally that we reached out to. Uh, we tried to either get the passes to be able to be part of them or to, um, you know, get them in somehow. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was a lot of logistics and it was, um, um, a lot of fun and really sending that, um, most people were also people aren't able to have to choose. So, well, Sean jumped in real quick. So, uh, just as background, uh, Sean and I know each other because Sean used to own a comic book shop. I did it. go to his shop. So, who's up and tell us a little bit about how you went from being a store owner to transitioning and being in a career. So, um, basically, I mean, I haven't become a shop from like to, as online from 2003 to like 2011. I had a physical store from 2006 to 2009, and we all know what happened around that time. The, the uh, bubble uh, they burst out of the home. Uh, yeah, there was a recession and everything, so uh, that kind of took its toll on me, and I, I decided, because I was working full-time, yeah. as well as uh, owning a comic book shop. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, Wednesdays were 26-hour days. All right. Well, I would get up at seven in the morning, uh, go to UPS, pick up the comics because they were available as of like eight AM or nine AM. Um, then head over to the shop, unpack them, set aside the comics for the box holders. Um, then uh open up the shop, work an eight hour day at the shop, uh, close down, go home, kiss the kids goodnight, and then goes in my tonight job. And uh, I did that for three years. It took a toll on my health. And so I decided to get out. But I still really love comments. Um, so while I was there, I had talked to, I, I, I thought, oh, I'll write uh, like a six-page script for my, my kids to draw, you know, to get them interested in comics. And they decided they didn't want to do that. Uh, <laughs> So I've written two scripts like that. I showed it to some of my buddies who were artists and I said, Hey, if you have any ideas, I'll draw your, or you draw, you, I'll write the comic, you draw it. Um, so we did that and we created, um, these little, have them. We created these little uh, scenes, is what they call the bi-colored copies. Yeah. This is terrible video. That's not that. Absolutely. 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 So we did the little, little uh, comments here because every um, 
every four pages is um, is what you print out when you read comics. So that's why you see comics that are in sets of like 20 pages, 23 with an ad or something, you know, and then you have a cover on the top of it. So we just did these black and white things. I, I did them at um, Costco Business, had a, a printing service at the time, printed them, um, stapled themselves. I had a long arm staple. Uh, we put them together, and that's how I started uh, UA Comics. Um, and then around uh, 2011, um, or I think it was 2010 when it came out, that Jeff Pena was downstairs. And uh, Thomas Healy put together an anthology called uh, Pirates versus Ninjas, or Pirate Pirates Fire Ninjas. So it was it was about stories that involved pirates and ninjas, and it was a comic book anthology. And um, I really I, I thought this is great. You know, you can get local people involved, and you create this, and it, it's possible. You know. Um, so I was thinking about all my friends and all the people I respected, what their interests were. And the thing that we had in common was music. Um, and specifically a love for the band and the Smiths. So, so what we did was uh, I put together a bunch of teams and they, they agreed to write and draw the, the stories. And um, then we decided to do a Kickstarter back in 2011 when it was fairly new. Um, and, um, I had this wonderful artist, Jason Peterson, and he's, he's still, it doesn't do comics anymore, but just like tattoos of forever in Tucson. Um, yeah, go check him out. But he had, did this cover of, uh, Morse opening up his shirt and the buttons of popping off that a la Superman, you know, uh, and it was this juxtaposition of like, um, uh, Rock stars are the new superheroes, sort of. Right. And so we, I, I got the Kickstarter together and we used that as the promotional art. Um, sent out to Bleeding Cool. Bleeding Cool picked up the story. Um, and I, so I'm looking at the, um, you know, I, I, I started everything and evidently Morrissey had got into uh, the news because he, he said something like there was some sort of massacre in Norway or something. And he said, this pales in comparison to the atrocities of KFC and McDonald's every day, you know, and, you know, overly dramatic, typical Morris. Yeah. And, uh, so people started picking up on that. And then there was, so the guardian reached out to us. They did, um, an article on it. Um, I was on BBC radio, um, doing an interview. We had, uh, Russian outlets, uh, Spanish outlets, just all over the place. The Smiths and Morrissey are very popular in Mexico. And so we had, we had all kinds of people reaching out to us to reach out to me or reach out to Jason. Of course, I don't think they understood that the, the cover image didn't necessarily mean that we were going to do a superhero comic with Morrissey. <laughs> Because most of the stories were just inspired by that. Uh, but we did have some lyrics that were in there, some, some of the Smith's lyrics that were in, in part of the stories. Uh, so I reached out to um, the music publishing that um, 
the space to use. And I said, this is what we're doing. Just these are the pages, you know, we like to have approval to, to be able to do utilize. So, um, time goes on the, the campaigns in full mode it ends. Still no I had a deadline to go to Tucson Comic Con to to release it. Um, so the books were printed, you know, on time. We did um work with McVay and um printing company that does most of the comics for uh poor or all the industry. And um we had the books. Still hadn't heard back from them, you know, months later go by and I, I hear back and they said, well, we just need to reach out to the artist. And I'm, I'm like, okay. And so still didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. Then like six months out, I hear back, Morrissey is willing to license this to you a thousand or 10,000 copies worldwide, um, use. Um, but there are three conditions. The first condition is every story that has lyrics in it has to say lyrics by, by inspired by, you know, um, and that the second thing was a $500 licensing payment, which isn't, isn't huge, um, compared to some of the other numbers I've heard thrown out for, for lyrics use. Uh, but it wasn't minuscule either. Um, uh, but the third condition is the one that, that could have put it, the nail in the carpet. He said that the other publishing company could not get any money. So the other publishing cop company was Johnny Barr, who famously they'd had a, a split with. And this was around the time that everyone was saying, oh, the Smiths are going to reunite, reunite for Coachella and they're going to, they're going to pay him a million dollars to play Coachella. And knowing this background, I, I'm, I can tell you that there is no way that Smiths are ever getting back together. Um, that there, there is just no way. I mean, if you can't agree on 500 bucks, then it's just him, you know? Um, so, so yeah, so, but, uh, I, I said, I said to the guy in, or Morrison camp. I'm like, is this possible? Am I, am I just, am I screwed on this? I mean, what's going to happen? Um, and he said, look, we talk back and forth to them all the time for different artists. Lens. And he said, let me reach out to them. Let me see if they have any interest in this, you know, and I'll get back. Yeah. Uh, so they reached out to the Johnny Mars people, Johnny Mars, people to their credit said, we have no idea what to do with this, which is crazy because Cook's, they license lyrics to books all the time and books are, I mean, comics are books with pictures. So, um, and so they, they said, we don't know what to do with this. If you can make some money off it, no, go ahead. And so I said to the guy, I'm sending my $500 check. I just need a copy of that email that says it worked for you in, in another and, uh, we're good. And so after that, I decided he would not use words in any comic that, uh, I did another uh, volume of the Smith book with Johnny Warr as the superhero on the front. Um, again, with uh, Jason Peterson. Um, and then we moved on to the Pixies. And I did a 64-page 
comic uh, of song of stories inspired by the songs of the Pixies. Um, now in that one, I posted up um, the management for the Pixies saw it and they said, hey, we would love to uh, put this on our Facebook page uh, and promote it. And so we got quite a few people interested based on that. Um, and they said, you know, just send us like copy or whatever we even done. So I, you know, that was it. That was it. The Pixies, the Pixies were so stress-free about it. So I, um, and I didn't even have lyrics in there. So it, it wasn't as if it was, I had to get their approval since the only, I mean, there is one of the things I found out from the Smith thing is you can't copyright song titles. So if you use the song title as the story title, you're in the clear. Um, which is why I always wondered, like, I'd see Batman and other comics that would have the title of a song as their story title for that particular issue. I was wondering, I was like, how did they get around that? Well, you can't copyright with the song. So, um, so we did the Pixies, then I reached, I tried reaching out for years um to Trek Eisner um because the next book I wanted to do was Stein Shells. Um and I'm I've never gotten a con contact with um I I reached out enough to enough of his business people that I'm sure he knows about it and he just doesn't want to even acknowledge it because acknowledgement is kind of approval. Um and uh but yeah um so we did we did a hardcover for Nine Inch Nails um, during, right before and during the pandemic, I put out four individual issues that I collected in a trade paperback. Uh, and uh, the next thing I, I've kind of been building my way up from very obscure bands to more popular bands. And the next one, the next band I want to do was actually more of a brand. Um, because I do. What's that? It's a new two? No, it's uh, Nirvana. Oh, yeah. And this one, I want I to write all the stories. I want to get artists to draw them um, because it's, you know, it's what I've been building up to. Um, and I actually have, before he passed, a couple of years before he passed, um, I commissioned Neil Adams to do a cup. Um, um, and so I have a Neil Ka Adams tubber that's bleak. Oh, um, yeah. Um, but interesting, another interesting thing about this whole uh, publishing then is that um, uh, I, I have a buddy, Jesse James, Jesse James and I. Um, he's really into Iron Man. Uh, if you ever see any of his posts, he's always wearing an Iron Man shirt or a Coffin Common shirt or a Pepsi shirt. Uh, <laughs> But, um, so Jesse, uh, is a real Iron Maiden band. So I thought I'll reach out to Iron Maiden. I'll let them know that we intended to create a book for every album. We like chronologically starting from the first album until where they are now. Um, and we're planning to do it and, um, wanted to know if they want any sort of participation. So I reached out to them. They were very quick to get back to me. <laughs> um, I have them. They're, they're British, so it's a very politely worded cease and desist. But 
that I have. They mailed me a copy. They emailed me and that they mailed me a copy. Just to make sure. Just to make sure. Yeah. Um, so I have that as uh, proof. Uh, but uh, but they were very polite. They said we're we're intending to do a um, uh, our own comic. Uh, and it's coming out shortly. It's of high quality, which I took as a kind of intending. Uh, I did send them a copy of the Nine Inch Nails book, which is cold color, some of the best art that you'll you'll see out there. Um, unfortunately, out of print, and now goes for a hundred dollars a copy. It's not more. Um, and there's actually a couple copies down spares. If you go see Matt Goodall or. Adam Warnoff or just the other job that I sent. But, but there's a couple people you'll see it. Um, it's uh, nothing can stop me on now. Stories inspired by the songs of Night Shales. So they said uh, of high quality, which I took as kind of uh, So I replied with them and said, "Well, I've been sending you a copy and spooning you all the stuff you said I won't." But they're like, "Well, regardless, uh, we we'd appreciate it." If you did not pursue that, um, so and I didn't really have. I don't know that there's a lot of precedence for that, um, so I don't know how uh, how we, they would enforce that. Um, but uh, anytime you get lawyers involved, everyone loses. So, um, so I mean, I was at one point I was thinking of calling it just uh, "Um the Irons" and not say "Inspired by." Uh, Iron Maiden, but I don't have as much passion for Iron Maiden as Jesse does, and so I, to me, I'd rather work on the things I'm passionate about. So, uh, um, but yeah, I was, I've been trying to slowly build up my credibility with bands so that uh, they know I'm not just going to put out stuff. And there's a, a really sad story. I don't know if we still have track, but we still get the time. Yeah, oh, our next one is to until. Meaning, but we're a little bit older, but we can be confessions. Oh, it is. Too. Yeah, so, uh, so the, the, there was a gentleman that was doing the same sort of thing, stories, stories inspired by, um, and this band was cultural. And he actually had band by, but he also had have band approval. Um, so he, he posted up, it was, it was going to happen. I was like, wow, this is incredible. This is what I wanted, you know, is it be able to have the band say, this is cool or this is, you know, not, not cool, you know, whatever. Just as long as you have some sort of like participation done. And it ends up that you got the band and in the can. He was a band and they said, yeah, I'm in your mouth though. I oh, so you'll never see it. Um, yeah. So, I, from some sense, my experience has been really positive compared to like Twitter So, yeah. But yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, before we do wrap up, um, Shark, where can people go to find out more about uh, your current projects, your work, and all that stuff? Yeah. So, I have a couple of Facebook uh, fan, fan pages uh, for Spaz Dog Press. Um, it's a, I have a website, uh, Um and they're available on Amazon. Um, so if you search under Spazdog Press, they're available there. Um, but again, it, you are interested in some of the books there. Some of the guests that are here this, this year have some of the... At least the way they're free to just sell. 
Um, but yeah, no, I'm so that I really appreciate it, guys. Very high artist. I love this. I know. Well, especially they don't get that here. I mean, especially with the Vikings. I, I was talking to these guys earlier. There's a there's a publishing company out, uh, Ogres, and they're doing comics. And every comic, the price of it is six dollars and sixty six cents. And by the way, I didn't include that. Well, one of the first comics they came out with was based on the music of Disturbed, and they had the band was involved. Uh, coming, I think, from a script and sort of story direction uh, aspect. So, and there's been there's been multiple books done now like that. Not just them, but the other that. So, I think there's you know when when you mentioned um, you know Iron Maiden, I believe we run their own thing. I'm wondering if you know, that's the rose as well. I I think they either run with heavy metal comments or Dynamite. I can't remember which which company it was. Yeah, but it was either Dynamite Entertainment or was uh, heavy metal. Well, yeah, see, Lashmanians are going that way too. This opus is this. It's completely. uh, It's it's really just a a mix of the comic industry of music. There's another great company, V2, that puts out some really great uh, collaborations with artists, Um, and of course you've got. Uh, the the magnum opus of comic book crossovers with uh comic book tattoo, which was a Tori Amos book, and she had direct in, involvement in it. But yeah, yeah, lots of fun. Going to ask great stuff. Well, thanks again for coming on, Sean. Really appreciate it. I'm just getting the graph up here. Hey, um, thanks everybody for tuning in and uh, watching our show once again. We really love having all these uh, great artists and writers and all the comic pros on with us uh, to help us uh, keep doing that. Please hit that, uh, click that like and subscribe button. And uh, you know, give us a radio if you're on a podcast. And we want to give a special shout out and thanks to our sponsors for the prizes that we have here today. Uh, ASAP Imagination Comics out of out of the UK. Um, we also have uh, Dreadnought Comics, which is a comic book shop here in town. And Dream Foundry, with whom we're doing the uh, Comic Skirt Ryan contest. Uh, Shaw's Lates and all, those, uh, all that information will be in the show notes and in the show description.